Good morning. morning. Glad three of you are awake. All right. Um, Glad you're here. If this is your first time here with us, and we're so excited that you're here. Hopefully you got a card when you came in. If not, uh, raise your hand. I'll throw it at you. I'm just kidding. Um, But we do have a gift that we want to give you today. If you're in-house worshiping with us for the first time, we have a gift by the door on your way out. Uh, you can fill out that card, drop it by to Miss Cheryl on your way out, and we have a gift that we'd love for you to have today. If you're watching online, the easiest way to do that is to text 31996, text East Space Connect to 31996, East Connect to 31996. You'll get a text message back from us. Click on the link and fill it out. Uh, we would love to, uh, to, to know that you're worshiping with us for the first time. And today we are beginning this Advent series at all three of our campuses, uh, talking about living in between, right? And so the main thrust of everything that we're going to talk about is to recognize that we are living in between two very important things. The Old Testament saints who lived before us, when you flip back before Jesus was born, they were living, they were living between the, the promises of God and the fulfillment in the birth of Christ, Now we, who are Christians, are living between the fulfillment, the birth of Christ, and the fullness that we'll experience at his second coming. As I told you at the very beginning of the service, if you came in late, you missed that. Uh, We're celebrating Advent, lighting these candles. We'll light one every Sunday leading up to Advent, um, just as a celebration and an anticipation um, of of Christmas every single year. And so um, this year for Advent, we're going to be looking at four biblical themes that are found in the story of Christ's birth. Some of them it says the word, and other times it's just kind of implied. But we're going to look at hope, peace, joy, and love over the next four weeks. This morning we want to look at hope. Uh, So the passage we're going to look at today is one that you don't think of when you think of Christmas. Where do you go when you want to read the Christmas story? In the Bible. Anybody know? Luke 2. Luke 2. Thank you. Luke 2. Luke 2 is where you go, and it begins with... Uh, Governor Quirinius and the census and all that stuff, whatever it says, okay? Like that's what Luke 2 begins with, the the story we're familiar with, um, gathering around grandma's feet in a rocking chair, whatever Christmas looked like for you. Um, But we're going to begin today in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, I think there are some important things for us to notice as we talk about uh, who Christ really was. Matthew and Luke both speak of Jesus' birth give us different perspectives. Luke begins, if you don't know this, Luke 1 begins with John the Baptist's birth, which is really important to set the story. But Matthew begins with everyone's favorite biblical genre, the genealogy. Don't you just love a genealogy, right? This guy had a kid and this was his name. Then he had a kid and this was his name and he had a kid. And we go through and if you're, if we we oftentimes, we get into those and we just skip down until we see don't see that anymore. Then we'll start reading again. But there's so much goodness um, in, especially in this Matthew 1 um, genealogy. We're not going to look at all of it, but oftentimes we skip over Matthew 1, 1 because we see the genealogy coming, right? So we go on and merge into another lane. We go on and skip down to chapter 2. But I'm going to begin, we're actually going to spend most of our time today in Matthew 1, one and it seems like a simple verse uh, you've probably read it and you're going to read it and not think anything about it but my hope today is that you recognize there is stuff to be noticed in Matthew 1 1 so I'm going to read it then we'll pray we'll come back and talk and I, this is an account the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham 
Sounds like fun, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we trust that today uh, what you want to accomplish is going to be accomplished. And God, as we begin to talk about hope and what it means and what it meant for the Old Testament saints, what it means for us, God, uh, uh, we know that, I know that you have a plan today. And God, I pray that you speak to us and uh, God, you would help us all to leave changed having heard your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what is it that you hope for? Right? What is it you hope for? Um, something happens around Christmas time every year, and my kids are locked into it. And that is, I, I, y'all get my kids. I've got to threaten them or try to reward them with something to get them to do tasks. Right? They don't want chores. They don't want. But there's one chore that they do without me even asking. That's go get the mail. Does anybody know why kids like to go get the mail around Christmas time? Uh huh. Presents, maybe. Catalogs. I don't know who invented these things, but these booklets, these little little looking things, they get shipped to everybody's house. I didn't sign up for it. I didn't ask for them to send me a toy catalog. It just shows up, and my kids know. Elsie Joe, I think, has discovered that Daddy's been throwing them away for the last six years before they found them. So now she wants to beat me to the mailbox because she knows that there's going to be a toy catalog in there. And so the kids, they've been looking through there, and you know they don't understand money, so like they circle everything, and they don't understand how like you don't get everything for Christmas, right, kids? You only get certain things. Everybody wishes you could get everything. But my kids are looking through these catalogs, and they're thinking of what they're going to ask Santa for and all this stuff, right? But then they get to the, the I look at it and I go, good night. He's going to have to hire some more elves, right? Um, this ain't going to get done. But I look at it and I recognize that there's something going on um, in my, my kids because what they, they look at it and what they say is, I hope I get a blank for Christmas. I hope I get a blank for Christmas. And um, we use the word hope in a lot of ways. And, and you may be hoping for something for Christmas. Uh, maybe it is a gift or maybe it's just like a calm Christmas without a fight in your family. Maybe that's your your hope this Christmas, or maybe it's that somebody gets to come see you um, that uh, hasn't been able, didn't get to come at Thanksgiving because of COVID or something like that. We use the word hope in a whole lot of ways, and my kids use it around Christmas time a whole lot, but biblically, the word hope has a very specific meaning, and I want to help you see it today because it's so important. The Hebrew Bible, which is what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible had two Hebrew words for hope. Well, they had more, but the main two were these. This, this is the first one. And we're going to practice these together, okay? So look a little bit, all right? The first one is yachal. You got you to spit a little bit. Be careful if you need to put your mask back on to do it. But yachal. Say that. Okay, thank you for trying. Good effort. Um, Hebrew, you have to spit a whole lot. You have, to, you have to hawk stuff up when you say it. But the word yachal literally just means to wait for. That's what it means, just to wait for. And so it's used, for example, to describe what Noah had to do, right? Noah is on the ark and the floodwaters rose. Well, once it stopped raining, Noah didn't get to get out, right? There was still water everywhere. The waters had to recede down. And the Bible, the, the book of Genesis literally says that he had to yahal for weeks as the rain receded. And so the other word is the word kava. Y'all say kava? Kava. kava. 
Beautiful. Thank you. Um, thank you for playing at home as well. I would hear you, all right? Um, but Kaval pretty much, Kava pretty much means the same thing, but it has a visual with it. I'm gonna, I, I found this cord. This is what Miss Terry uses to do like necklaces and stuff over in the kids' building. Um, I stole it from her, and hopefully they weren't doing necklaces, necklaces today. But this is just a cord, right? And as I, as I pull this cord tight, what happens? It gets tighter. It gets tight, right? Like it gets tension is the word I want to use. And if I keep pulling this tighter and tighter and tighter, it would eventually snap. <laughs> but I'm not strong enough, okay? Um, but this cord, the tighter I pull, the more anxious you probably get, right? The more you're thinking, it's going to break. It's going to break, but he's a sissy. It's going to break. The harder I pull on this, the more tension there is. That is the perfect example of what ba means. Cord in Hebrew is, lit, is the word kav. Okay? Cord in Hebrew is the word kav. The tension that is placed on a cord when it's pulled tight is the word kavah. And that is the perfect example, the perfect visual of what it looks like to hope in something. To hope, to tensely wait in anticipation, right? It's a, it's a tight cord. When we think about hope, what is our hope in? And as, hope, uh, as our hope continues, we think of a cord getting tighter and tighter. And here's what you need to understand. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, thousands of years have gone by, and y'all, the cord is getting tight. The prophecies that have been spoken that a Messiah would come, thousands of years have passed since that happened. And when Jesus comes on the scene, the cord is very, very tight. And so I want to show you today through Matthew 1.1 what was going on in the hearts of people uh, Matthew's writing to. And then we're going to talk about what their hope was in. And then we're going to talk about what our hope is in at the end. Okay, so Matthew here. Is, is, is diving into the fact that the, the before Jesus came, their hope was in Messiah's coming. If you're a note taker, that's point number one. Their hope was in Messiah's coming. Matthew's using very specific language to point to the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of this hope. You and I, are, we're, we're, we're not Jews. We weren't raised in this culture. We don't understand. But when, Je- when Matthew says that he is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is making three important declarations that a Jewish person, when they hear it, their head is going to explode in anger or it's going to explode and they're going to trust that Jesus truly is the Messiah because there's so much tension over the time. And I want to help you see that today. So each one of these three things, Christ, son of David, and son of Abraham is intentional. And it's very important to help them, under, help them recognize that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So again, if you're a note taker, Christ equals Messiah is point A there. Christ equals Messiah. Um, the word Christ is literally a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. So to say that Jesus was the Christ was making a very important statement. When I was a kid, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. Right? I thought that was just like his family name or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you were different. But I grew up in church and no one ever explained to me what Christ meant. I thought it was just a cool term or maybe it meant he was in 
charged, but it literally means that he is the Messiah. And so to the Jewish crowd that Matthew's writing to, this is going to stand out. This is very clearly saying that Jesus is the one who the Jews have been waiting for throughout generations, all the way back to Genesis 3.15. If you're familiar with that, we talked about this back in the, the summer, I think. Genesis 3.15, as after Adam and Eve have sinned and God's about to kick them out of the garden and out of his presence, he speaks to the serpent who led them astray and he says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman and, the off, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God promises that there is a seed of the woman. There is a son of the woman who is coming one day who is going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going to deal with Satan once and for all and put an end to his reign, who's going to deal and bring, bring, bring salvation to the world and forgiveness of sins. But that's, that, that's not just in Genesis 3.15. Over and over and over again, the Bible speaks that there is a day coming when the Messiah will come. There is a day coming when, when he will come. And, and it's over and over again, not just, in, uh, not just in the prophetic books, but throughout. From Genesis 3.15 all the way to Malachi, it's, it's, you can't even count the number of times that it speaks of a Messiah coming. So to say that Jesus is the Christ to Matthew's Jewish audience, their minds would have been freaking out. And we miss it. The second thing that Matthew says about Jesus is that he is the son of David. And this was to help signify that he was going to sit on a forever throne. A forever throne. Son of David equals the forever throne. If you know the story, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, man, it's a really cool story. At this point, um, you know, from Moses, as Moses leads God's people out of Egypt, they build this tabernacle, which was essentially a big t- and this was in under this tent was where the presence of God dwelt. Just a tent, like a tent, like you going through, like you may have thrown up for your together. That's what was going on. But David comes to God as king, and he says, "God, I want to build you a house." And begins to talk about how beautiful a temple might be, and God just stops him in Second Samuel chapter seven. And he says, no, 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 David, I'm going to build you a house. And my house will never end. And he begins to describe that David, a son of David, will sit on the throne forever. A son of David. That's what God tells David, that your son, your seed, will sit on the throne forever. That's pretty high, a pretty, pretty important oration. So, David has a son with Bathsheba named Solomon. And God says, this is the guy. And so David hands it over to Solomon. And guess what happens? He dies. So what happened? Did, God, was, did God's prophecy not come true? Right? He said, David, your son's going to sit on a forever throne. And pfft, he died. So it didn't work. It didn't take. Then the people of God begin to think, okay, well, maybe he just means that a son of David, the lineage will always sit on the throne, will always sit on the throne. And so Solomon's son takes over, and he's a son of David, and he's sitting on the throne. And, and then the nation is split into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And they can't even stand each other, literally war against each other. And then over time, all, both northern kingdom and southern kingdom are carried into exile by the Assyrians and later by the Babylonians. And Israel is no more. 
the throne was destroyed. (laughs) So is God lying? Did God lie to David when he said, your son will sit on a forever throne? This was what mystified the Jewish people. What did God mean? And so they just held out hope. They held out hope that one day a son of David would restore the throne in Jerusalem. One day we're going to get to go back and build up the temple and to build the walls back and God's going to restore Israel to what, what he intended all along. And they get to do that in the book, uh, if you know, uh, um, goodness, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. They get to come back and begin to rebuild. But by the time Jesus comes on the scene, Israel's not its own nation. It's, been, it's, live, it's part of the Roman Empire. And so just imagine, again, these are people who believe every word God says and God has said that a son of David will sit on a forever throne. Imagine how tight that tension is after thousands of years of that not coming true. And Matthew says of Jesus, he is that son of David. He is that son of David who would sit on a forever throne. And that's why when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, uh, before his death, what do they do? Kill the son of David. They're fired up. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to kick the door down of Rome and he's going to bring back Israel. Make Israel great again if you'd like, okay? He's going to do it. And then he just gives up his life and dies. <laughs> Paul gives us clarity when he writes to the, the Ephesians of how Jesus is the son of David who sits on a forever throne. Begin to see that it's not earthly, physical. It's a spiritual kingdom. God, this is Ephesians 1, verse 21 and 20, or 20 and 21. He, God exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God raised Jesus up, not just from the dead, but to a place at his right hand on a throne. And how long will that throne last? Forever. Not just in this day, he says, but in the age to come. Jesus is fulfillment. To the Jewish people, they would hear that Jesus is the son of David. And again, they would either be angry or they would, it would lead to faith and repentance. And then... He throws all the marbles down and he calls him the son of Abraham. Son of Abraham meant a blessing to all nations. A blessing to all nations. If you know the story of Genesis 12, man, if you don't, you need to. Genesis 12 is when Abram, which was later named Abraham, Abraham, the guy who's wandering around taking care of his, uh, his flock, his family, and God comes to him and meets with him and says, I want you to follow me. It's in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God gives Abraham a three-pronged promise. He promises him land, he promises him a big family, even though he's 90 years old at this or 85 years old at this point and doesn't have any kids. He promises him he's going to be, have a big family, and he promises him that he will be a blessing to all nations. 
And it's later in Genesis chapter 22 where God gives him a little, another piece of that. He redefines that third part, the blessing to all nations. He says in verse 18 of chapter 22, And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, be blessed by your seed, by your son. And so it can be taken that, okay, God's referring to the people of Israel because they all call Abraham their father. He's the father of, of the nation of Israel. And so that's, that's what that means. That's, that's, it's just talking about God's people. And that's certainly true. God has called his people, the people of Israel, to be a blessing to all nations. Paul talks about in the New Testament that you and I opted in to the family, right? We're, we're, we're sons of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham. So God's called us to be a blessing to all nations. Absolutely. But there's more going on. Paul, in uh, the book of Galatians, points to the fact that seed, and uh, I don't know exactly, uh, um, this is just Paul's interpretation. Paul says that seed is singular. He didn't say seeds of Abraham. He said seed of Abraham. He's speaking of singular, and Paul believes that this reference is pointing forward to Jesus that Jesus would be the son of Abraham that would bring a true and final blessing to all nations. Salvation in his name alone. So this is the connection that Matthew is trying to make for his Jewish readers. He said Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And each one of those is loaded. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who reigns forever and the one who brings salvation to the world. You and I can look at Matthew 1.1 and totally miss the heaviness of that. It's a big deal that for thousands of years people waited on the Messiah and he finally came. The tension, the, 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 as time passed, the tension got more and more and the anticipation got heavier and heavier. It's no doubt Obvious, though, as you look at the Jewish people that sometimes uh, sometimes they lacked faith and they lacked hope and the rope gets a little slack. They begin to believe as time passes, I don't know, y'all. I don't know if God's going really fulf- I don't know if God's really going to send a Messiah. You can see it in the hearts of the people of Israel as they begin to talk in the Old Testament. Is God really going to send Messiah to save us? You see, we know that he has because we've experienced it. And we also know that our hope is not in something that's already happened. Our hope must be in something that lies ahead. And our hope is not in the first coming of Christ, but in his second coming. Theologians call this the idea of the now and the not yet. Though Christ's first coming definitely brought certain things to light, he brought salvation to us, there are things that will only be fully experienced in his second coming. We're going to talk about that. So point number two is this. Our hope is in his second coming. The Bible is clear is that there is a day coming into the future in which Christ will return and establish fully all the things that the Bible speaks about. This is the in-between that you and I live in, between the birth of Christ and his, second, and his second coming, when Christ returns. We live between the taste of the fulfillment and the fullness of it. 
So what will that day bring? When we speak of his second coming, what will that day bring? Paul gives us a cool picture in Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. And Paul was going through a lot of persecution, a lot of pain. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation itself eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits or the taste, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, and, but hope is not, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. There are two things that Paul talks about here that are so important. As he talks about the, the, the glory that is going to be revealed, there are two things that we hope in. We have, first off, we hope in the fullness of new creation. That's what Paul talks about first. This is what you need to recognize. Sin didn't just wreck me and you. Sin didn't just wreck our relationships. Sin didn't just wreck our relationship with God. It wrecked all of creation. Since sin entered the world, man has dealt with natural disasters. We get attacked by animals. And we've dealt with diseases. Right? This is not the created order. This is not how things were set up to work at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. Each of these things, however, will be done away with when the fullness of the fulfillment comes into place. Death itself will be no more. Revelation 21 speaks of all of creation being made new. Do you think about that? I've discovered that I'm a selfish salvation thinker. Right? I think of myself receiving the fullness, but I don't, I don't always think about the fact that all things will be made new. I think as we get older, we do, right? As our bones begin to creep more, as we have to go to the doctor a whole lot more, I think we think about Goodness, it's going to be good when diseases are gone, right? It's going to be good when bones don't ache anymore. But when we're young, we don't always think about that. But that's, this is what happens. And I'm just going to tell you, with, with every funeral, with every cancer diagnosis, with every COVID infection, and every time... I have to leave my house with a piece of cloth over my face. I am reminded that there is a day coming when it ain't going to matter. And it ain't when the CDC figures it out and gets a vaccine. Praise the Lord, I hope they do. But there is a day coming when the Savior of the world will make all things new. And all this stuff's going to be dead, not because of a vaccine, but because of the light of the world that brings it all together makes everything new. I don't know about you, 
But 2020 has brought a tight cord in my life. My anticipation has grown in 2020 for Christ's return. Because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of diseases. I'm tired of sickness and quarantining for the love of all that's good. I'm sick of all this. But what we know is that there is a day coming. And I live in anticipation of when all of creation will be brought to its fullness and be new. And all this stuff is gone. Thank you, 2020, for teaching me to live in anticipation of Christ's return. But our hope is not only in the fullness of new creation, our hope is in the fullness of salvation. Paul says in verse 23, he says, not only that, not only what, not only will all of creation be made new, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, the taste will also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. There's a day coming when you and I will be made new too. We hope in a fullness of our salvation. We know that salvation that we experience here on earth has brought us into a relationship with God that was impossible without Christ's blood. But we also recognize that there is more to salvation that you and I don't get to taste here on earth. And that's good news. Because if the Christian life that we experience in this broken world is all that God promised us, it's awesome and we'll take it. But there's better things coming. There's a more fullness that's happening. John 16, 28 and John 14, 1 through 4 talk about Jesus leaving and then coming back. To think, I want you to think about it a minute for the, ro- the roller coaster of hope that was going on for the disciples. Okay? The disciples are living in the first century, and so they've experienced the thousands of years, right? Of all these stories of a Messiah coming, and the, the cord in their life is getting tied, and they're living in anticipation, and they're, they're so excited. They're, they know that one day God's going to send a, a, a Messiah, and then they meet this weird strange little rabbi named Jesus. And they recognize this is the guy. This is the one. This is what we've been anticipating. And then just as they begin to feel relieved, right? The Messiah has come. Then he dies, which was not their plan. Their plan was kicking the door down in Rome and building building the 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 uh, the throne back. That's not what happened. But then, so then the cord gets tied again. But then guess what happened? He rose from the dead. They're like, yes, this is exciting. This is it. The, the Messiah has risen. Now we're going to go in and kick the door down in Rome. And then Jesus sits him down and he says, listen, listen, I've got to go away. <laughs> but I'll be back. Just imagine the roller coaster. We found the Messiah. Oh, he died. Wait, he rose from the dead. Oh, now he's leaving us again. But he tells us that he's coming back one day. It's in that anticipation that you and I live today in the 21st century. We're in this long period of anticipation that should be building 
just like the Old Testament saints experienced before Christ's birth. Now we live in a period of waiting. But my question for you is this. How is your court? How is your hope? Are you living your life with hope? When you get up in the morning, are you excited that you, you know you are 24 hours closer to Christ's return than you were the day before? Isn't that good? <laughs> Some of y'all are smiling because you're excited. Some of y'all are like, I don't know about that. Or you're trying to do the math. I promise you it's true, okay? We know that. And, but what I recognize is in my life, that's not how I often live. Oftentimes, my life looks more like some of those Old Testament Israelites who started doubting God's promises. Can you imagine waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to come? At some point, you've got to think, I don't know, maybe we missed it. And here we are now 2,000 years after Christ has said, I'm coming back. Is your cord tight? Are you anticipating it? Are you excited to think about Christ's return? Or have you settled in to the world? Have you settled in, gotten complacent? Instead of living apart from the world like Christ has called us to, sometimes we settle and our cords just, just loose. We're not living as people of hope. I don't know about you, but I want to live with a tight cord in my life. I want to live a life. When people look at me, they say, dude, that guy's just got an antsiness about him. And it's not like ADD or ADHD. Like there's something spiritual going on in this guy's life because I live in such anticipation that Christ could return at any moment and I want to be found faithful. Because here's the, here's the, here's the thing. If there is not an anticipation building in each, of, in each of our lives every day because we're getting closer to Christ's return, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. If, if, if you're not living in more anticipation every day, we need to ask at least two questions and begin to figure out why. The first question is this. Do you lack hope because you are not assured to begin with? Do you lack hope because you're not assured to begin with? And for those who have not trusted in Jesus, or if you're wondering whether you have or not, you're not looking forward to Christ's return because you don't know what that means for you. Today, we're going to have some decision counselors by the back door who would love to help you figure out what salvation looks like. They want to help you see clearly in the scriptures so that you can know that you've been saved by Jesus' blood and that you can begin to live your life in anticipation. Second question to ask if you're not living your life in hope is do you lack hope because you don't speak of it regularly with others? Do you lack hope because you don't speak of it regularly with others? Is the hope, is the, is the idea that Christ is coming one day just on your back burner? Is it something you just think about every once in a while? Y'all, Christmas is coming. 
And everybody knows what Christmas is really about. Atheists, uh, agnostics, other faiths, they all know what the first six letters of Christmas are. They can say happy holidays all they want, but they recognize that there is something about Christmas that for us as Christians is centered all around Christ. There is no easier time to talk about Christ than at Christmas. And so we need to begin to live our lives as people of hope. We need to speak of the hope that we have. We need to tell people that we're excited about tomorrow. Some people wake up every morning dreading the next day. Christians, we ought to be looking forward to it and doing everything we can to be found faithful by sharing with sharing Jesus with other people because here's the, here's the deal, church. One day the rope's going to snap. Y'all, it actually broke. Oh, man. Sorry, I was saying something. Um, that really caught me off guard. One day it's going to snap. And there's not going to be a chance Like there's no more chance for you to get your life right with Christ. There's no chance for your neighbor to get their life right with Christ. That's why today is the day of salvation. One day, all the things that I've been hoping for, all the things that I've been excited about are going to come to fruition and the kavah is finally going to give way to the return of Christ and my hope will no longer be something I hope in. It'll be something I see with my eyes as I look on my Savior face to face. I want to be found faithful working towards that day, and I pray you do too. If you've never trusted in Jesus today as your Savior, um, that rope's going to snap one day, and we would love to talk with you about how you can know today that Christ died for your sins, not just the sins of the world, but like you In particular, your sins were bore on the cross of Christ. And that if you're not a Christian, we'd love to talk with you. We're going to have decision counselors by the back door. Patrick, y'all come on up and begin to play. We're going to have decision counselors by the back door to talk with you. Um, If if you need to make a decision for Christ today, or even if you've just never been baptized, you want to talk about joining our church family here, man, we'd love to have these conversations with you. Or maybe you're like me. And you just need to live as if Christ is coming back one day. And you need to get off your tail and do something. That's where I'm at. Amen. I'm living my life way too complacent. I prayed with a man this morning in our first service who just said, Man, I'm too complacent. I'm too, I'm too content where I am. I want God to get me out of that. Amen. Let's do it. Let, may Lindsay Lane East be known as a people who are antsy in, in anticipation. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then you can respond however God leads. During this last song, you may want to just sing along with them. The altar will be open down front, and we'll have decision counselors by the back door as well. Um, I'll be down front to too. Let's bow our heads. Um, after I finish praying, we'll stand and respond. Father, uh, God, we know um, that Jesus is the Messiah. God, there's no doubt in, in my mind. So I don't hope in that. My my hope, my anticipation is not in something I already know. It's in something that I'm looking forward to. God, there is a day coming in the future and we don't know, just like nobody knew when Christ's first coming was going to happen, we don't know when His second coming is going to happen. And So Father, I pray that You would help me live my life as somebody who is anticipating 
this awesome thing. I pray that you'd help us as a church, God, to live with anticipation and not ever be content just to show up and worship and check our boxes, but God, would be found faithful, reaching out to our friends and neighbors, and God, reaching the nations because Jesus was the son of Abraham, not just the son of America. A blessing to all nations. God, help us be found faithful. It's in Jesus' name I pray.